Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 1 through 16. And that's Acts 21, verse 1 through 16. And you can also find it in your pew Bible on page 1105, Acts 21, 1 through 16, page 1105. We have been in the book of Acts um, almost exclusively in 2019. If you're joining us in the middle of it or there's a message you missed or a part that you want to study further, all of the uh, messages are up on the church website at fc2b.org in which you can find them and go back and catch the ones that you have missed. Or you can go back and click your favorite ones. Um, Pastor Chris always has my favorite ones um, because, well, he's a Georgia Bulldog. Yeah, but he's my favorite. I've listened to myself. I don't like the way I sound. Anyway, let's go to God's word. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we'd come in sight of Cyprus, Leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we were greeted, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nansen of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we will spend a majority of our lives trying to figure out God's purpose for us. 
And it begins quite early. In fact, the pressure really comes from our parents, right? It's always our parents' fault. That's what we tell the therapist, isn't it? it the pressure begins from our parents. I, I recall my own childhood. It was, it was my parents asking, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, you know, I was knee-high to a grass, grass, grasshopper. I can say it correctly. Knee-high to a grasshopper. What did, what, what did I want to be when I grew up? Well, if, you, if you'd asked me back in my day, I would have said an astronaut or a paleontologist. Although I wouldn't have said paleontologist, I didn't know the word. I would have said dinosaurs. But then later in my life, I saw Jurassic Park and, well, that ended that. <laughs> Nobody wants to work with dinosaurs anymore. Or I, I might have answered, I'm going to be the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Maybe even get one of the cool backpacks and go join the Ghostbusters. What did I want to be when I grew up? I mean, this is such pressure. I had no idea, but it begins the question of searching from a small childhood all the way through our adult lives that we always constantly ask, am I doing what God wants with my life? How do I know God's will and purpose and direction for where I am to go next? And then even in middle school and high school, how many of you took the aptitude test given by your guidance counselor that said, after taking this test, they declare to you exactly what your career should be? As if at 16, you know any better than you did in fourth grade. And from my own experience, and then going on to college and all of a sudden going in as a broadcast journalism major and then switching to an economics major and then finally graduating with a criminal justice degree, serving in that field for a, a, a mere two years and then ending up running the family business that I'd grown up knowing my entire life, a tire shop out in Plainview, where ultimately, by the Holy Spirit, through my wife, I finally heard that I was called to ministry. I had been told several times, I just didn't hear it. Right? There's a difference in, in being told and hearing. But we're all searching after what God's purpose is for our life or what God's will is. What's the next direction God wants to take us? Maybe we've heard where God wants to take us to where we are, but we're still trying to discern, well, what's next? And then we encounter Paul, who seems so determined, so, so sure that he is called by God to go to Jerusalem. I mean, he, he left the, the elders from Ephesus that he called to him and they were crying and weeping because he said, this might be the last time we see you. Don't go, Paul. Paul knew from the Holy Spirit that he was told when he goes to Jerusalem, he will experience suffering and afflictions. And then on this quite laborious journey of getting on one boat and off another and waiting at different ports of call, he encountered other disciples, brothers in Christ, and then even his own traveling mates, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they all try to discourage him and dissuade him from going to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go. Bad things are going to happen to you. The scripture says Paul wasn't swayed. He couldn't be persuaded. Paul was aware. He even voiced the concerns. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart, putting this pressure on me not to go to Jerusalem? He says, for if I get arrested and imprisoned, and even if I die, it'll be for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident 
in what the will of God was in his life. And we want to know, how can we too be that confident in where God is calling us? See, Paul wasn't moved in one direction or another. He didn't waver in whether or not he should go to Jerusalem, even though he took a bit of a a route on the boats through the islands of Greece over to Jerusalem and finally there. He was even tried to be dissuaded by the disciples and his acquaintances. Now, they they had uh, good intentions, right? When they said, don't go to Jerusalem, they they said, don't go to Jerusalem because bad things are going to happen to you. But they demonstrated the all too common inclination of being quick to know God's will for someone else. Can I get an amen? Yeah. How easy is it for us to know the God's will for someone else before we can even recognize it in our own life? We have no idea where God wants us to go and what direction we're going. But if you ask me some advice on what he's telling you, boy, I'll let you know. We'll give our two cents. Isn't it interesting the saying that we'll give our two cents worth, but when we ask for someone, we say, I'll give you a penny for your thoughts. We always overestimate the value of our own advice. See, what matters in our lives is God's will for us, not what others think we should do, but what God is calling us to do. I want you to hear that again because some people here need to hear this today. That what matters most is not what others think you should be doing with your life, but what God is calling you to do. For we are not called to please other people. We are called to please and glorify God. Who cares what other people think if you're doing God's will? That's Paul's philosophy. That's how Paul lived. Paul didn't care that the other disciples who were faithful believers, who were close to God, were telling him not to go to Jerusalem. He did not get his instructions from them. He was following God's will. See, the the people that were trying to tell him not to go, they were well-meaning, but they tried to make God's will conform to their own ideas of what God would do, right? Because they they thought, well, Paul goes to Jerusalem. Well, the Jews are going to take off his belt and tie up his feet and his hands. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. He's going to be in prison and and surely Paul will be killed for being a Christian. Well, I can't have Paul killed. That means I'll never get to see him again. Oh, if he gets thrown in a Roman prison, they're going to take him over to Rome. That means he's not going to have the chance to write us another letter or come back to our church and preach again. This can't be what God wants. Surely God doesn't want this man to suffer. He wants him out there preaching the word of God. See, they were trying to make God's will conform to their own ideas. And really, this speaks to us a lot of times. Right? We, we tend to lean heavy on the side of transactions and, and things that are happening in our lives and, and lean heavy on, well, what am I going to get out of it? Right? 
And the major misconception that we often have is that if there's nothing in it for me, then it simply can't be the will of God. Right? If there's nothing in it that I deem good and worthy, then it can't be God's will in my life. But let's look at Paul. Paul, God's will was for Paul to go to Jerusalem where he would be beaten and arrested and ultimately shipped to Rome and killed. What was in it for Paul? Fame, glory, fortune? No, none of that. None of the things that we would consider good, but what he had for him was suffering, imprisonment, and ultimately death. We need not make our understanding of God's guidance conform to our understanding of happiness and contentment. We have to be really careful that when we are discerning God's will, we're not trying to make it conform to what we think will make us happy. Paul stayed confident, knowing there was nothing in it of fame or fortune for him in this journey to Jerusalem. What was in it for him? Obedience to Christ. What was in it for him? That he would get the chance to tell one more person in Jerusalem about Jesus, despite the suffering. See, Paul is is the one who writes the church in Galatia. He's the one who writes these words for us to hear in chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wasn't going to Jerusalem so that he could get kudos and applause from the other apostles or other believers. Neither was Paul going to Jerusalem and and choosing to suffer just for suffering's sake. It's not a merit badge. It's not something in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts that you earn and can sew onto your shirt so you can move on to the next level of Christendom. Suffering for choosing suffering is not how we get into heaven. It's not a merit-based system. It is grace and grace alone by which we are saved. We had nothing to do with it. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. In fact, we were the most unworthy and disgusting, yet who it was lavishly laid upon. It was grace. But we have to remember that Paul didn't choose to suffer just to suffer. As Oswald Chambers, a theologian, puts it, he says, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. He continues, he says, no healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. And that's what we have in Jesus. Jesus. 
the Son of God, who came to be obedient to God's will, even if it meant the excruciating suffering of hanging on the cross so that we might be forgiven. We can go back and we can read the Gospels. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying, Lord, take this cup away from me. He didn't want to go suffer on the cross. He didn't want to suffer just to suffer. But he said, but if it's your will, may it be so. And so we don't do things just to do things. We don't get into ministry. We don't serve in the church just so we can add a merit badge just to do it. We don't preach just because we enjoy it, but because it's God's will. We don't become elders or deacons because it's always fun or it's a really cool title to flaunt, but because we're called to it. We don't serve in a ministry just because it's fulfilling, even though it is very fulfilling to serve in ministry. Because we're called to it. So how can we be confident like Paul? Confident in where God has called us? Well, it's all in the discerning process, isn't it? So when we're looking to discern God's will, there's... Four counsels, four counselors, four advisories that we take into account. The first and foremost in this approach is the word of God. Right here. Black, red, and white. It's here for you to read. It's in almost every language. It's accessible to you. If you, don't want to, if you don't want to read it there, you can download it on your phone. You can set reminders for it to pop up. It's 2019. There's almost no way that the Bible can't be infused into your life. It's at your fingertips 24-7. And then if you don't want to read it, it will talk to you. God's word is more accessible today than it has ever been at any point in history. And in God's word, it it reveals God's nature. It tells us of how he loves us. It tells us of how far off we were and how hard he worked to bring us to him. It tells us of his desires for us. Word of God is there. Now I want to caution some of us. I want to caution us in this. If the only time we enter into God's word is on Sunday here gathered together, I'd fear that we want the things of God and not God himself. If we have no desire at any other point in the week and time to go into God's word and hear what he has written down for us 
to know, to have written on our hearts to be a lamp upon our path. If we have no desire for that, well, Jesus tells us a story about it. It's the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? Where the, where, the, where the youngest son goes and asks for his inheritance while his father is still alive, essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead and all I want are your things. All he wanted from the father were the things of the father. He didn't want anything to do with the father. But then when he comes home and the, and the father is so happy that he has him and he throws a party, a banquet, a feast, and he kills the fattened calf, the older brother goes out in the field and begins sulking. And so the father goes and chases him down and, and the older brother, the elder brother is mad. He, he said, you never killed a fattened calf for me. You never let my friends come over and have a party. And the father says, look around. All that I have is yours. But the elder brother was just as lost as his younger brother. For both of them, in different ways, desired only the things of the father and not the father himself. So if we desire the things of God and not God himself, if we don't enter into his word that he is handed to us in our lap and on our phones and in our ears, heaven's a rude awakening because it is all about God and in his presence and having a deep relationship with God all the time, walking in his presence, there's nowhere you can go where you can hide from God, but you enjoy him and the glory forever. This is the crown jewel of the gospel that we get God, that we are no longer separated from God. It's the love story that is told in this scripture. I plead with you to enter into the words, to hear the life that it speaks to you to let it transform every part and portion of your life. For it is more than just words on pages. But it reveals God himself. And it's the first place we go to begin deepening our relationship with him. Because, spoiler alert, that's the ultimate will of God. That you, day by day, would have a deeper relationship with him. Whether that takes you through valleys of suffering or peaks of prosperity, God wants you close to him and will use anything in his power and in all creation for your good. And the best thing for you is to be closer to God. And we know that through his word. The second advisor we use and have at our disposal to help us discern the will of God is the Holy Spirit. We don't have to flip a coin. We don't have to roll the dice. We don't have to play the lottery to figure out what we're going to do next. It's, in, in fact, in scripture, it's clear. We, we notice something that changes at Pentecost. So to find the 12th apostle after Judas had betrayed and Jesus had ascended into heaven. They, they had some criteria. It came down to two people and then they, uh, 
drew straws to figure out who was going to be the 12th disciple. That, that God would counsel them in making that decision. But after Pentecost, the drawing of lots, the drawing of straws, the flipping of coins, they're all gone. Because we have been given by faith and through baptism the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who is the great counselor, who is the wisdom of God, who is there to give you the strength and the ability and the wisdom through all things. And so we not only have his word, we have his spirit. And then we also have our own conscience, our gut. Some of us like to say, I just like to make gut decisions. I do what my gut tells me. Well, word of caution, it's third on the list because you need to check with the Holy Spirit and the word of God first. If your gut tells you to do something contrary to the word of God, don't do it. God would have you not be contrary to his own word, his own promises, to his own desires. So we say scripture is the ultimate authority in our lives. Because everything else, when we're looking to discern God's will and make decisions about things, we turn to God's word. And if it contradicts God's word, we, we are to submit to it because God has already revealed his desires for us. And then the last tool that we have in our arsenal and the one we use the most are other people. Right? Seeking others' advice. But, but really what we need are good advisors. Not just our friends that say, yes, you go get them, you do you. Yeah. We want good advisors, godly people who are in the word, who know God and who know us. Who will encourage us when we need encouragement and will admonish us with the word of God when we need to be admonished. We don't want to be surrounded by people that just always tell us to go get them all the time. Because the Bible doesn't always tell us to go get them. Sometimes it causes us to halt. And again, others happen to be last on this list. And for good reason. What are you, a bunch of man pleasers? And... Of course, it stands to reason that if we're going to check our gut with the word of God, we're going to check the advice of those around us, that if it doesn't match up to the word of God, well, we can just throw it away. In fact, you probably wouldn't use that person as a trusted advisor again, for they're leading you down a path of destruction. And so as we're getting into this discerning God's will for our life, we we go kind of backwards in this list and figuring things out. We, we first get that group of advisors in our lives. We try and figure out, are the people currently giving us advice worthy of giving us advice? Because not everyone's opinion is worth listening to, right? And, and so find people in your life who are close to God, who are in God's word, and who are close to you that you can trust. And then you can still be skeptical of it and match it up with the word of God. The next thing we, we do is spend time with God. You say, pastor, I'm, I'm already spending a lot of time with God. Add 30 minutes. 
Martin Luther used to say that, well, today is a rather busy day. I think I'll spend three hours in prayer. The busier he was, the more time he spent with God before he got about doing business. It's part of that deepening of the relationship. I want to take a moment here to speak to parents and aunts and uncles and and grandparents. If you you have small ones in in another generation that you're helping to raise or that you're around, I want to encourage you in this. There's going to come times in our lives where we face difficult decisions or big decisions. Bring the next generation in. Show them how you consult God in those moments. Because nothing will be more impactful on their life than for them to see their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their mom, their dad, going before God and asking for God's advice. They see that faith isn't just something we do on Sunday morning, but it's something and a relationship we go to over and over and over again. And when it comes to those big decisions, they don't always require an immediate answer. So take them up in prayer. And you may not hear anything for a week, a month, a year, a decade. Say, well, pastor, what do I do when I don't hear from God? Nothing. You do nothing. You wait. You wait on the Lord. It's okay to wait on the Lord. He called Abram and Sarah to wait to wait on the Lord. And then this part gets really hard when we're looking at God's will. We need to realize that when God's will is revealed for our life, it may not be exactly what we wanted. Amen? Right? It may not exactly be our dream. That when God called me into ministry and I realized I had zero chance of ever becoming a ghostbuster then, right? It's that harsh realization. We can go and we can look at Paul himself. He gives us the example here in the book of Acts. For he was Saul of Tarsus, the great Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. Go back and recall that he's the one who brought the stoning of Stephen and began the great persecution of Christians in Jerusalem to spread them out. Saul's idea for his life was that he would continue to grow in prominence and fame and political power and wealth there in Jerusalem among the Jews. But what was God's will for his life? That he might be saved by grace. And put with a burning passion to go to all the world and the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what. Paul's on this trip to Jerusalem. And if you had asked him earlier in his life, he never thought he would have been there. On a trip destined to suffer and die 
for the name of Jesus Christ. God's will for our life isn't always what we want it to be. Which comes to the final and most difficult part of God's will. If we know what God wants us to do, if we have discerned clearly what God wants us to do, friends, we got to do it. That's, well, well, we have options, right? We can do it or not do it. We can, we can obey God's will. We, we, can, we can say, yes, you are not only our Savior who has given us grace, but you are our Lord and Master. Or we can go be in rebellion. We can sin. That does not glorify God. And in fact, it's in that moment that we rebel against God's will when we know what it is for our life that we declare with great certainty that we know more than the almighty creator of the universe. That is a quite the arrogant thing to do when we realize how small, sinful, and insignificant we can be in the grand scheme. So Paul writes. He writes to the Corinthians in his second letter. And he says in chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Be quite silly of us, right? Cross our arms. Go to God. Hey, God, thank you for redeeming me. I want you to use me. What, what way do you want to use me? You can do it in any way except the following three. <laughs> Seems silly, right? So submitting to God is it's hard. This is what it looks like. And you'll never be freer. And you'll never find a life more abundant than that in Christ Jesus. And so I pray. I pray for you all to find God's will in your life. Not only to find it, but to know it, and not only know it, but to be confident in it. Confident because you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ. You may not feel that you are smart enough, skilled enough, strong enough, wise enough, have the right resources to accomplish what God is calling you to, but that's because God is going to equip you so that he gets all the glory. And so I pray 
I pray you will come to that conclusion that Luke and Silas and Timothy, the other disciples there on the shore, that Paul and that even Jesus in the garden came to. Let the will of the Lord be done. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for living and dying and being raised so that we might be forgiven. For it is all grace that you have poured down upon us. For it is all love that you have lavished upon us. Lord, may we not only praise you and thank you for being the savior of our lives, but may we in joyful response be obedient to your will. For we know you work all things for the good of those who have faith in you. Lord, continue to draw us near. And may we become ever closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.